Nye and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Northwest Internship Coordinator Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, the Assistant Director of Career Services here at Northwest. On today's podcast, we have our very own Student Involvement Coordinator, hailing originally from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, a 2019 graduate from Northwest with a double major in Human Services and Psychology. Please welcome Drake Summers. Welcome. Yay! Welcome, Drake. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. Oh, thank you for being a guest on our podcast on this cold, snowy February morning. Absolutely. Let us start back at the very beginning of Drake Summers' career, if we could. All the way, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before, but a lot of times we like to talk about the very first job you ever had. Yeah, so I started work right when I was 16. My birthday is actually next week, so I started just a few weeks after my 16th birthday at a little tiny ice cream shop in my hometown called Dairy Bee, and I worked there for six years up until my junior year of college, and it was a great first job. I had lots of friends there. I made lots of friends there. The owners were awesome. Yeah, it was great. So what did you actually do at the Dairy Bee? Everything. So I think that's partially why I liked it so much, because all of the employees kind of did everything. There wasn't one job that one person did. We all filled toppings. We all made stuff. We all cleaned. We all filled the ice cream machines. There wasn't anything that any of us couldn't do. So was it like make your, your mix-ins or was it like cones or was it like all of the above? Yeah, it was all of the above. We had pretty much anything you could possibly want, um, but it was just a walk up. So you just walked up to the building, stood at the little counter, ordered We didn't do um, cards. We didn't have anything, nothing electronic except for the ice cream machines and the TV in the back. That was the only thing that plugged into the wall. So we'd write your order. The person behind him would turn around and make it real fast. And then we'd hand it out. So yeah, we had the machines. So like soft serve, but also the hard serve scoops. You started your first job scooping ice cream in winter then. Yeah. So the dairy bee season is March 1st through Halloween, but a lot of times it is still very much winter on March 1st. (laughs) So yeah. So how did you find the dairy bee job? Was this like a rite of passage in your area? (laughs) Was it a like, I, you could say so a little bit. It was a kind of tight-knit group of people that worked there. Dairy Bee has been, it was opened in the 60s originally, I think, like 62 maybe, but it, it was a family thing. It's still in the family. It actually recently sold, but still in the family. So I have a best childhood friend that was pretty much family. And so she was like, we should really work at Dairy Bee together. So... We did. You were like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And I had cousins that worked there and my sister worked there after me. So a lot of times this happens, right? It's that tight knit, close group of people that you kind of have these entries into places that maybe other people don't even know about. Right. Yes. To be able to have a network and and work that network or use those networks. That's kind of, I'm going to remember that from Dairy Bee from now on. (laughs) Drake's Dairy Bee experience. So you worked there even through college. I did. Yes. It is how I paid my rent in college, largely. Did you work anywhere else? After Dairy Bee, I worked here. I was a student ambassador kind of during Dairy Bee, but then once I stopped working there, I got a job here in the OSI as a desk assistant. So 
yeah, for the most part, it was just Dairy D and it paid my bills. So it was, it was wonderful. Yeah. All right. So let's back up a little bit then. So how did you decide to come to Northwest? You know, when I think back to that, it was a really easy choice. It was the only school I had applied to. I knew that I was going to college and I knew that I wanted to, I knew that was how I was going to get to where I wanted to go, but it didn't really matter necessarily where that place was at the time. It was just like, I just need to choose. So my mom was an alum. Uh, my parents met here. Uh, my cousin had gone here. So I was like, seems like an all right place. <laughs> and then I, I came here on tour and it was decided. I'd, I'd already applied and been accepted by the time I got here and was on tour. But yeah, it was a pretty easy choice once I saw. I was like, I don't need to apply anywhere else. This is the place. And how did you pick your major? Did you come in decided? I did. I came in with a psychology major. Um, at the time, I had a minor in business. My goal upon graduating was to work with individuals with disabilities in an employment situation. So I got that exposure through my mom. Um, she works at a sheltered workshop in the Kansas City area. She's a programs manager. So I'd kind of been around it my whole life. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I knew that. So that's what I came in with the idea is like, I got to understand how a business functions, but I, I need to understand people too. And that changed a little bit. I still work with people and that's, that's the goal still is to stay with people. But you said you started psychology business, but mm -hmm. you graduated human services psychology. Yes. And that was probably the best decision of my academic career at Northwest that I made. I didn't not enjoy business, but it definitely wasn't my favorite thing about my schooling, being here and doing classes and stuff. So, um, and this may sound very silly, but the furthest I got in my business minor was business finance and I got a B and that really made me mad. So I was like, something has to change because this isn't going the way I want it to. And then that's when human services, I mean, it was a brand new program my sophomore year. And so I was like, that just needs to be what I do. It's about people. It's people focused. It's going to teach me how to be a better person and how to have empathy and all these soft skills that you don't really learn in the classroom. So it was great. I love that program. I'd recommend anyone do that. So maybe that, that, that actually brings up a good point. So what is the difference between human services and then psychology? That's a great question. I think this would be beneficial for any future Bearcat or, you know, deciding Bearcat listening. Human services is a lot of soft skills, um, but it's applicable. Psychology in large parts is about theory and about learning maybe why we do certain things. Um, but it's not necessarily focused on how to do those things, if that makes sense. So in my psychology classes, for example, like I took all of the abnormal psychology classes we have on campus, there are three. Um, you learn how to read the DSM, you learn how to, you know, talk to someone and maybe pick out things that might be going on. But then in human services, you would talk about like case management and maybe how, how do you help that person through that process? So that sounds like a really um, sort of intuitive pairing, right? Human services pairs well with psychology in your experience. Oh, absolutely. And I would say anyone that has a psychology bachelor's degree would agree that it doesn't, it doesn't really get you very far. You have to have some other stuff in there to really able to like apply it or you have some other skills that you've learned somewhere else along the way to help apply those things. So yeah, I think it's a great pair.
we have a lot of human services students come in and want to do internships. So when you were a student in that major, did you do any internships anywhere? Or? I did. Yeah, I did an internship here in Maryville at Let Us Dream, which is a job skills training program at a greenhouse. And they grow lettuce, kind of like the name says. They grow some other herbs and stuff, depending on the demand. But they have individuals with disabilities, um, most of which are young adults. Some are still in high school that maybe need some extra help with, um, you know, what do I want to do once I graduate high school? You know, I need some skills. Um, high school doesn't always provide those with disabilities resources to be able to move on from high school. You may do stuff in high school and then they graduate and they're like, well, not really our problem anymore, but that person still needs to be able to be a productive member of society. And they have every right and opportunity to do that. So so what did you get to do? So it was a lot of direct hands-on contact with the interns. So I was a college student intern, but they had job skills interns there. So lots of direct contact, every process of like putting the seed, it's hydroponics, so putting the seeds in the little cubes of substrate, I don't even know what it is, it's not a soil, but the little cubes of foam, put the seeds in, put them in the essentially gutters um, to be hydroponically propagated and then harvest the whole process, but it was awesome. Did you know anything about hydroponics when you started that? Or you just no. learned through the whole thing? Yeah, just learned through the whole thing. I, I knew hydroponics like was a thing. I knew about it a little, but I didn't know anything about the process. It's the only hydroponic farm like in this area of the country. So our little pocket of Nebraska, Missouri, Iowa, Kansas, there aren't, there isn't anything else like Let Us Dream in our area. So yeah, but it kind of was a little bit of a, both of my worlds met because I'm a I'm a plant person. <laughs> I know that seems like sometimes it's a personality trait for people, but um, I love gardening and I love being outside and I love doing that kind of thing. So it was kind of a great spot. I got to work with people and I love that, um, but I also got to work with plants and plants are awesome. You also mentioned, uh, to kind of hop around here, you also mentioned that you were a student ambassador. Um, so tell us how you found that job and, and what you did as a student ambassador. Well, I knew that I wanted to be a student ambassador when I was, whenever I was on tour here. Because it's given by student ambassadors, right? Yeah, and my ambassador was Max Maldorf. I don't know if either of you are familiar with Max. We know Max. Yeah, he's he was fantastic. And I was like... I have to do this before I graduate Northwest. So I did. I was an ambassador my junior and senior year. And that was something I looked forward to every time I gave a tour, twice a week. I understand to be a student ambassador, you have to kind of make it through a multi-step interviewing process, right? Yes. Tell us about it, with that. With Jeremy Waldire. Um, so the first round of interviews is a student panel. So the student ambassadors, it's like three or four, will sit down with the applicants um, depends on how many applicants there are, obviously, who makes it to the first round of interviews, just like any job. And largely, it would just be about, and of course, I didn't know this going into it, but it's just to kind of get a sense of who that person is, if they would make a good fit. Because sometimes, as you, I'm sure, both know, it's not always about your skills that you bring to a job, but if you can be an active participant in a team and make that team better, then you're probably a good fit. So that was largely the first part of that. Second part of that was 
a more scary interview with Jeremy um, and a couple of the senior um, student ambassadors at Mabel Cook, but it wasn't awful. It wasn't awful. <laughs> Jeremy's a great guy, but. I think the multi-step process of interviewing, if you've never been through a real job interview before, I think a multi-step process is very intimidating, especially if you're a student. I'm glad that I had that experience because when I applied and interviewed here at Northwest, it was a multi-step process. So I, it wasn't the same process, but I'd kind of had that experience of I wasn't going to immediately find out after one interview or after talking to one person. You also mentioned working in the OSI office as a desk clerk. What did, how did you find that job and kind of what did you do in that role? All of my extra time pretty much as an undergrad was spent in the OSI. I was a part of Student Senate and Student Activities Council, so I found myself here quite a bit just hanging out or doing schoolwork. It was just the place I went when I had some off time. So in that process, I got to know the office staff and the person who was in my role before me um, and I had a good relationship. And so there was an opening. She encouraged me to apply. And, you know, it it was another situation that I wasn't super um, worried that I wasn't going to make it. I wasn't going to get that job, but it was it was still a good experience and it was a great interview and it gave me a lot of skills. you know, talking to people. I, I kind of knew how to do that, but it's a little bit different whenever you're supposed to be a gatekeeper somewhere. And that was a lot, a large part of our job. So talk about that gatekeeper role. I'm interested. I'm, I'm really glad that you, you said that because I think that's a little nuance of desk working that people often miss. Yeah. So, and especially for an, an undergraduate student, I, I know that gatekeeping and really making, you know, direct contact without being prompted sometimes is really hard. So our desk here in the office has had a couple different physical locations. So physical location of the desk is, is key to gatekeeping. Yeah, but to have the initiative to say, I need to talk to that person before they talk to me, I was a big part of that job. A random career services uh, input into here. So our desk, speaking of physical gatekeeping, our desk in our office is strangely designed so that it has a point and people don't ever stand in the the pointy area of the desk. They kind of go to the side. Uh, But I do think like space design makes a big difference when it comes to, you know, where people approach and how comfortable they feel approaching your desk or approaching your area. Yeah, definitely. So, okay. So de- your your gatekeeper, you've been an ambassador, which is kind of the opposite of gatekeeper, right? Let's show everybody the everything. Uh, and then you're kind of had some experience as a gatekeeper. So what motivated you to apply for the position you have now? And what do you do in that role? Well, there were, I mean, it, it was a lot of what happened in my other roles. There was an opportunity that I saw and I knew that that was what I needed to do in the moment. So there was an opportunity for this role in our office. The, um, the individual who came before me, who was in my role, had left. There was a little bit of a void there. And as you both, I'm sure, again, know, when you have an office of so few people, that the people that are here and then if they leave, that, there's a gap there. There's a, a gaping hole in the process. So I saw the gap. I saw what I had done in my undergraduate career is being involved in Student Activities Council and Student Senate and working in our office. I was like, I can do that. I can do that. So I did. I applied in, I want to say like January of 2019 and was 
unofficially hired by March. And then I started just like a week and a half after I graduated. Right into that professional position, right? How was that transition? Was that difficult for you from being like a student who's active in the space to being like, now you're a staff member? It was definitely, but it wasn't difficult in my actual job function. I would say I'm very confident and comfortable and I I have been the entire time in fulfilling the role and the responsibilities of my position. What was difficult and I would say is, you know, as a continual process of learning is being a part of a team as a professional team, being a part of a student team is much different. You also have to learn how to communicate as a professional. And I would say that I was comfortable doing that but it still is different. You know, I, I was t- I talked to agents and companies and vendors and all of that stuff, comfortable doing that, but working in an office environment is still different. So it was still a learning process. And then of course the transition just of, people know me as Drake the student and now I'm not Drake the student anymore. I'm, I'm Drake a professional staff. So it w- a learning process on both sides of the aisle there. How would you say it's different? Can you articulate the difference between student staff or student team and then professional team? Probably the easiest way I would describe it is as a student, I think there were less repercussions of my actions. Not that I would say I did anything ever wrong necessarily, but I would say as a student, you don't always feel the ripples of the actions that you do, that you have. So I may have made a decision as a student and there maybe was some ripple effect, but I wasn't on the end of that. And as a professional staff member, you ride all of those waves to the end. So now in this position, I may make a decision and there may not be, you know, there may not be nothing wrong with it, but whatever outcome that has, I see that all the way through. And so in the beginning of that process, you have to think a little bit harder about those decisions and maybe you make the same decision. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's actually really insightful, I mm-hmm. think. I think we we have seen in our student staff, and I'm going to ask you about that in a second, but we've seen in our student staff, sometimes um, the students who really want to take ownership of something get frustrated because they don't get to see that ripple. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. So I yeah. think sometimes, like, sometimes that can be good, depending on what type of worker you are, <laughs> or it can be bad. It can be frustrating to some people. Do yeah. you have, do you hire the student staff now? Then do you hire the, for the spot that you used to have as a student? No, I don't. Oh, that would yeah. be a good circle around for you. Yeah, I, I would have um, if they hadn't changed, they changed my job description a little bit when they hired me. Um, so now I'm much more focused on event coordination and all the facets of our office that, you know, plan events like SAC and homecoming. But yeah, before that, um, the person who was in my position oversaw the front desk. So Uh, Corey, Dr. Hoffman has that job now. So, (laughs) but students are a large part of our team still, just like I was for the OSI staff um, when I was a student. So they, they play an active role in all of our jobs. We all ask them for help. They all help us with things. So tell us about the event coordinating. What, what events do you work with? How, what's your process in those highs, lows, give us the the in-depth report of Drake Summers and his event coordinating. Yeah. So I love that part of my job. That's one of the specific reasons why I knew I could do this and I would enjoy it. Apart from advising SAC and Homecoming, which of course are event coordinating organizations, I do um, family weekend. I coordinate family weekend and all of the extra OSI events like work fair, 
the Northwest Awards, which is a collaborative effort. I'm not the only one on that team, but I do our part of it. And then overseeing the events of the SAC and Homecoming. I don't directly plan those events, but I get to do contract review, which I also really like. I enjoy that part of my job, which a lot of people don't enjoy that stuff. The policy and the the ins and outs of what we can and can't do, the red tape. But yeah, I like all that stuff. Sounds like your experience ties pretty well with that too. Because, you know, family weekends, a lot of coordination with Jeremy and the admissions team. And you were involved in several organizations that you work with now. So it sounds like it all kind of marries up really, really well. It did. Yeah. And, and from listening to your interviews with other people, you've noted almost every time that, you know, something about their like academics don't always match up with what they're doing. And I would say that's kind of where I'm at too. I would not have the skills and experience to do the job I'm doing without my extracurricular involvement and without those extra things that I did to learn skills as a student. I loved human services, but it would not have prepared me fully for the job that I do. So what do you think is a key difference? Once again, if we're exploring differences here between you being the coordinator and then you advising the coordination. (laughs) So right now, the main difference is that I'm not a part of that peer team anymore. I am their supervisor, for lack of a better word. I'm, I'm their mentor, I'm their advisor, but I also am, am their supervisor. So instead of being a part of that team, I just make sure that they're not doing anything horribly wrong, which is in a lot of ways easier, but also it's hard to step back from some of those processes. And I, I love that stuff. I still do. So it's been a little bit more difficult than I'd like to admit to step back from some of that stuff. Say this isn't, that's not really my job anymore. But on the, on the flip side, I've really enjoyed mentoring and advising the students that are in those roles. So instead of me reaching out to a vendor or an agency to contract entertainment, I'm just the one who does the contract. I don't get to talk to those people anymore. I don't get to set up for an event. I don't get to do those like physically labor intensive parts of the event coordination which I like. That That's just given me a new mantra for leadership, Drake. Just make sure your team doesn't do anything absolutely <laughs> horribly wrong. That's, that's, that's the baseline right there. Well, yeah. And well, that, that may seem like an easy thing to do. And it is, it is for the most part. But you don't want them to also be doing the same thing the same way every time as well. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and SAC and homecoming, I think sometimes students don't fully understand what their peers are doing in those roles. Those are really learning opportunities. You're you're not supposed to come into those roles and immediately know what to do. That's part of it. I mean, I I've prepared them to the extent that I think that I can, you know, and those who came before me did the same. They that's part of that job, but also there's there's trial and error and there has to be a level of failure. But yeah, Things can't go horribly wrong. They can go a little wrong. Well, and you had COVID to deal with, which completely changed the way those events looked and functioned and all of that. So you got to figure it out on the fly. So And that was hard. That was really hard. But So how did you approach that? I think my job was made easier by some decisions that the university made. Allowing SAC, specifically SAC events, to continue um, as long as there was mitigation was a godsend for lack of a better term, because in a lot of ways, the programming we do probably shouldn't have happened. 
but there SAC plays a large role in what students experience. So I think part of that decision was, do we remove that? Do we take that piece of student engagement out and hope that students make it work and can manage? Or do we trust our people and do we trust the processes that we've put in place and make it work on that end? And I think the decision to make it work on the COVID end was the right one. And I think, you know, we've done everything in our power to make sure that we're being safe and we're not putting people at undue risk. And yeah, I think we've been pretty successful at that. Definitely our programming has had to change. You know, we didn't have a spring concert um, and that was the plan. So that really stunk to not be able to do that. And, and I know our students that are involved feel that. They know that students want, they, they want more, but it's hard. It's hard to do that right now. So, but hopefully I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I hope we're all seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. We feel you there. <laughs> it's amazing how, you know, and you know, you gave tours for a long time and I did when I worked for Jeremy as well, that, you know, the, what do you do in Maryville? Well, we always have stuff to do on campus. Well, then you got to have stuff to do on campus. If that's the problem you make, or if that's the promise you make, you've got to have it. So, yep. you know, not having those SAC events could have led to lower retention and it, it's dominoes. And, you know, you, I'm, mm-hmm. I was glad to see you guys move forward with a lot of that stuff too, because it does make a huge difference on the morale of students and staff, honestly. So just seeing stuff go is going on even if you don't go to it is nice just for peace of mind so yeah definitely you know we tried last spring to do some virtual stuff to do some stuff on social media some of that um not face-to-face engagement and well i think that's a good alternative it's obviously not the best but it's better than nothing and it's better than nothing and personally some interests of mine is the learners we have at Northwest and in higher education right now, I see a difference between how I was as a learner and as a student and the students that I advise right now. So that's kind of just a personal interest of mine and an interesting juxtaposition that I've noticed. And this is just research-based is the students that we have right now, Generation Z, that's kind of a hot button term. And we want to know more about Gen Z in higher ed. Gen Zers really hate online engagement. And it is a little bit of an interesting juxtaposition as I as I was saying, because we're such online social creatures. But when it comes to those meaningful engagements, the meaningful things, online just doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. Yeah, that's an interesting statement. I, I noticed that as well in teaching last fall. There was a marked difference even from the students five years ago to the students who are coming in now. Yeah. On a related note, Drake, uh, you know, with engagement, tell me what you think it means to be a Bearcat. I had this question down pat as a student, as a student ambassador. Right away, I knew the answer. But I think as I've grown in my position as a professional staff, it's changed a little bit. I still think that it's family. I still think there's a huge sense of community on our campus. But I think more now that students use being use that I'm a Bearcat to motivate themselves to do more and to do things better and to improve things around them. I don't know that I would have said that as a student, but I definitely would say that now. I think we use that definitely in a positive way. And I know I do that. I use that as an excuse to not settle. I'm a Bearcat, so I'm going to go do this, or I'm a Bearcat, so I'm going to go to this new experience that I'm going to learn. I'm going to bring stuff back and I'm going to make what we do here better. So it's a lot about process. It's all about growth. 
aspirational. That's an aspirational term. Yeah. Thank you. That's really insightful. Yeah. Drake, what are your aspirations? You know, you, you've been in your career a few years. You have a lot of it ahead of you. Where do you want to go? Forward. I want to make progress. Whatever that is in the moment, that's what I want to do. I have learned. I have a really hard time settling. I have a hard time being comfortable. I want to do the next best thing. So I'm not sure where exactly that's going to take me. I know that it's not going to keep me here forever. Um, I love Northwest, but it's it can't be the end. It's It's been the beginning, but I, I can't be here forever. So I don't know what that means exactly, but. That's a very open, wide open uh, answer, which is actually how everyone should approach, right? I mean, it's it's tough to say, well, I'm going to take these five steps and then I'm going to turn right here and then I'm going to take three more steps. We, uh, uh, we, yeah. That's what we talk about all the time. Like you try to take 12 steps, but then by the time you get to the fourth one, you're like, oh, this looks good over here. <laughs> yeah. And you can, you can plan and you can plan, and you can plan, and then it may not be the way that that works. Mm-hmm. I think too, it's, it's important. And I know this about myself that I have a wide variety of interests and higher ed is one of those. And I want to continue in some capacity in higher ed, but also I, I'm still a passionate advocate for, um, individual disabilities. I'm going to do that at some point in my life. Um, that's what I came to college to do, as we've talked about. So I'm going to do that at some point. So if that's the next thing, then that's the next thing. If higher ed's the next thing, then that's that's fine too. So We heard it first from Drake. <laughs> to be continued in the future. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything that you would like to share with the world in conclusion? Some wisdom, some inspiration, whatever your thoughts are. I should have been ready for this because I knew you were going to ask. I would say do your best to be kind to one another. That doesn't mean to agree. Know what you want and go after that. Make sure you you know yourself and know your values, know your limits. Do the best you can for yourself and everyone else around you. Solid advice. That's yep. what I got. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, that will do it for another episode of Behind the Bearcat, and we will talk to you next time.